Hi guys, it's Jill, and welcome back to the Equine in Theory podcast. This week's episode, we are discussing my thoughts, feelings, experiences, and what I learned at the Alexander Curlin Clinic that I was just at. Uh, So yeah, let's just jump into it. Alrighty, ladies and gents, uh, I'm going to start off by saying that this might be all over the place because I have had the longest week of my life, and I am recording this Monday night, and I'm going to do the best I can to stay on topic and give you guys as much information as possible because I know a lot of you are really interested and very excited about this, but my brain is all over the place, and I already took two exams today, so... You know, this is what I get for procrastinating, so I'm sorry if this isn't the most fantastic podcast episode that we have had thus far, but I'm going to do my best, so just give me a break, all right? Um, So, I went to an Alexander Curlin Clinic, which is pretty freaking dope. For starters, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome to be able to work under someone who is, like, the founder or the first to do or the first to write a book on something that is new, I guess. Like, um, you know, Karen Pryor was really the one that brought clicker training to the public eye, and she wrote books about it and everything, and Curland was the first one to do that with horses, and she wrote many books about, um, you know, positive reinforcement with horses and that sort of thing, and that's how I learned about her, and I have skimmed through some of her books. I have not had time this semester to sit down and read them all the way through, but um, I've skimmed bits and pieces of of all three of them, because I have them, because I'm a book nerd, and um, yeah, so I also listen to her podcast, Equiosity, um, and you can listen to it as well. It's a really insightful and pretty pretty good podcast to listen to if you're a behavioral science nerd like us. Um, but yeah, so I signed up for her clinic, and I was super excited about it, and I took both Mac and Zoe, and um, me and Sunny, my boss, stayed in the trailer all weekend, so we were on site the entire weekend. And, um, Cindy Martin, who hosted the clinic, made us food every single day for three meals a day, and she is a wonderful human. She was, like, the greatest hostess. I have never been to a clinic where the host literally prepares you breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and she was fantastic. I also learned a ton from her as well, um... So, yeah, I mean, I have my notes here in front of me of, like, sort of what I took from the clinic, and I'm going to get to those, but um, I kind of just want to run through my experience at the clinic, because it's not your average, you know, take your horse to, uh, you know, a eventing clinic, and then you get there, you might do a light ride the first day, and then the second day you do show jumping or cross country or dressage or whatever, and then the next day you do one of the other three. Um, Usually it's just show jump and cross country, which is interesting because most of us eventers need most work in dressage, but um, yeah, so it wasn't like that at all. Um, We got there on Friday evening. And we settled in the horses and everything, and then we went inside for dinner, and we all sat around the table and kind of discussed our goals and um, everything. And the biggest topic that came up was, you know, I'm going to the Retired Racehorse Project with Mac. And I've been in this position lately where I haven't seriously publicized it, 
But um, in the months that I've spent working with Mac, I anticipated a lot more progress. And to be frank with you, I, like, it just, I don't know. I hope you interpret it the way that I'm intending for it to be interpreted. But um, it's not due to positive reinforcement failing. It's due to he's starting so far behind most other horses. Like, where I started with Zoe, we can just sort of shoot off and just do things differently and, you know, excel in what we're doing. And her progress has been slow because I have tons of other horses to work with. And since Mac is the priority, she's gotten put on the back burner. But um, with Mac, he's starting so far behind because he's he's head shy, he's reactive, he's like really afraid of you touching him anywhere. He doesn't like it when you're up higher than him, like on a mounting block. Um, and he's just, he's just afraid. And it seems like, and I I mean, you know, I start my horses with targeting and the first time I held up a target, he bolted the opposite direction. And I was like, all right, we will start with something that's not on a stick that looks like a whip. Um, so, you know, it doesn't really matter what happened to him exactly. But um, if I were to theorize, it would be whips, ear twitching, and shanking. Um, because he's just, he's just jumpy. Like, anytime you move around him, he's like, oh god, don't hit me. So, um, I've had to start by working through all of that. I can't, you know, just go to, let's desensitize the saddle if me lifting my arm scares him. And let alone lifting something onto his back. Sure, he's had it done thousands of times before, but has it been comfortable for him? Has it been a positive experience? Um, You know, so it's... That's been a challenge. And I brought that up to them because I was like, all these positive reinforcement gurus, somebody tell me what to do. But honestly, I got the answer I was expecting. That was like, do you feel like you're going to compromise the horse for this competition? And... You know, I've been thinking about that and all my positive reinforcement friends and mentors have been saying the same thing. You know, are you going to have to compromise Mac in order to meet this goal? Like what truly matters to you? And to some degree, it's not necessarily up to me. Um, I'm not the one paying for him to go to the show and he's not my horse. And um, so, you know, he's he's going to have to go. Um But it was more just like, I don't know that I am going to be able to do everything the way that I want to do it um, in order to make this goal happen, which is sort of heartbreaking. But, you know, I went into this completely blind. I anticipated getting like an off the track like many I have before that are the most level headed, kind horses. I mean, that's the only kind that I've ridden off the track. We don't really get any crazy thoroughbreds that are just like insane but and you know Mac isn't either he's just kind of like he's kind of scared <laughs> and oh that was super southern enjoy that um he's super like nervous so we're starting way farther back than we would have and I'm doing everything in my power to create you know good positive associations with everything that we need to do you know, like, I need to be able to put a saddle on him, a halter, a bridle. I need to be able to lead him around and, you know, get on him and eventually do a jump course and that sort of thing. And um, the goal is to do all of that on the ground first so that he has the clearest understanding of what I'm asking, of my cues, and um, so that that's all laid out for him and we have a nice, solid foundation 
and then we can start adding, you know, the boards and the brick and mortar and make it a big house, you know? We're laying the foundation right now, and hopefully that will make him more resistant to um, fear in the future, because the goal is to be able to make him a happy confident horse who's not afraid that people are going to do bad things to him and since he's not afraid and since he will have been taught how to behave correctly he won't be as likely to encounter situations where he's you know quote-unquote in the wrong and someone is going to feel the need to punish him or get rough with him and so it would just be a better outcome for him overall and um that's my goal is to make him a happy, confident horse. And that really got solidified this weekend. Um, that that's just, that's what I want to do. I want to make his life better through this competition. And I also want to bring that positive reinforcement based training can be, you know, attainable and yeah, it's, it, it can take longer and it can be a little more difficult because I'm not just saying deal with it horse I'm gonna throw the saddle on you throw the bridle on you and just ride you until you realize that you're not gonna die and you know I could do that um the thing is with Mac I just see a lot of potential emotional fallout with that um you know because he's already he's come so far but I can just see with doing that just based on how many interactions I've had with him that um just doing that maybe now he would be more okay with it. But if I had just done that right when I'd gotten him, you know, I would have been dealing with a very anxious, stressed, and fearful horse. And then he probably would have ended up a ride a lot like Zoe, um, who was just like tight-backed and open-mouthed and tail-swishing and just clearly uncomfortable. And um, I just want him to understand that this is not a bad thing and that we're going to do things that um, earn him reward and, um, that we're in this together, you know? Um, so yeah, that's my extremely long tangent. Really sorry about that, but I feel like that's really important to clear up. Um, because I just, I don't think it's worth it to rush through this. And I know everyone and their grandmother has been asking me when I'm going to ride him and how am I going to do this competition if I haven't ridden him yet? And my answer to that is we're getting there and the summer just hit and I'm going to be spending a whole lot of my time working with him and formulating plans and figuring out how we're going to get there by October. Um, so everyone can just cool their jets. This is my journey, not yours. <laughs> so sorry to be blunt, but that is, that is my rant on that. And I will stop now because I'm supposed to be talking about the clinic. Um, so anyway, so the next day was our quote-unquote data collecting day where we kind of just went out to the horses to see where they were at and find holes in the training and see what we needed to work on. Um, Alex likes to say, you know, people for opinions, horses for answers. So let's go to the horses and see what they're telling us they need to work on. And um, we got a whole lot of stuff because <laughs> um, Zoe, who at home when they were paddock together, could not stand Mac. She kicked out at him all the time. He would run up on her and bite her on the butt. And they just had like this antagonistic relationship. But when we trailered them there and we got them in stalls, like the, the setup was that there was a stall and each of the stalls had like a run out. So it had like a little um, paddock behind it. Like not really a paddock, like a stall sized outdoor enclosure, like that had fence panels and stuff. Um, so they could both go outside and see each other, but they couldn't see each other when they were inside. 
And, um, you know, I brought Zoe into the stall and Mac was outside and she quickly lost her marbles because she couldn't see him. And I was like, oh, dear. Um, <laughs> so we ended up having to work outside and over the fence. And, um, yeah, we really just worked on seeing where the horses were at and if we could get anything accomplished. And um, we did that for a little while. And then we took them both to the arena um, after lunch. And um, Cindy led Mac around um, in the arena so that they wouldn't have to be separated. And Alex worked with Zoe a little bit. And to be quite honest with you, my memory is failing me, <laughs> which sucks. Um, I can't remember everything that we worked on that weekend was full of stuff i'm talking we got started at 7 a.m and did not stop until 10 p.m so it was a long day every single day and the clinic was four days long so um you know alex worked on a little bit of head lowering some mat work and leading i believe um i think she was more just trying to get to know zoe and see where she was at and that sort of thing um so, yeah, and I got to watch a few more demos from other people. I mean, they weren't demos. They were participating in the clinic. But for me, it was a demo because they were, you know, riding and um, showing how their horses just line up at the mounting block with no direction. They don't need to be held. They just line up and wait for you to get on. Um, a lot of hip targeting um, was a really big thing for me this weekend, and I'll talk about that in a second. And... Um, you know, doing lateral work in hand on the ground before you transfer it to the saddle. And, um, yeah, there was just a lot, a lot of like really cool things that you do with your horse on the ground. And that that's the thing that I love about clicker training and positive reinforcement. And, you know, of course, in traditional training, there's a lot of work done on the ground, especially in classical dressage. But for the most part, at least the way that I was brought up, my extent of groundwork was lunging and sometimes ground driving, but not anything like this. Like, you know, my, in my opinion, throwing a Pessoa system on or side reins, which I have used frequently in the past, um, it just doesn't accomplish the same thing as um, clicking and rewarding the horse for small adjustments in their self-carriage, um, in my opinion. Um, because, you know, once you take those gadgets off, what do you have? You might have a stronger horse, but a horse that's probably not going to go into that position, you know, without some, some rain pressure or leg pressure or something like that. Um, whereas in clicker training, you have a higher likelihood that the horse is going to want to carry themselves the way that you've been rewarding, um, because they get rewards for doing it. So, um, I think that that is a, quicker, clearer way for the horse to self-carriage. Um, and I learned a lot about that this weekend. Um, so that was really cool. So after all of that was over and done with, um, when we were sitting around the dinner table after we had all finished and we were kind of talking, they decided to play this portal game, uh, which is, I believe, coming from the University of North Texas with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz and Mary Hunter, who was actually at the clinic. And, um, she showed us how to play this game and essentially you have like this like little mason jar with a cap um full of like trinkets like slinkies and toy cars and just all of this random stuff and essentially you have one person leave the room and then mary would tell us what she was going to train alex to do so alex would leave the room she would tell us what her training plan was um you know i have three things that i want her to flip over three objects she needs to flip over and then put in my hand um 
and then after she does that I want her to put all three objects in to the slinky so what she did was when Alex came back she um, put a toy car upside down and so obviously Alex had in her own personal repertoire to flip that back over that's not how it's supposed to be right so she set up something so obvious that Alex was like oh I know what to do with this so she flipped it over and then she got clicked and quote-unquote treated and this may sound very juvenile but it was it was really good metaphorically um, for me at least and um, so they did that a few repetitions and then Mary gave her um, something else that was really obvious that it was upside down. I think she may have had a button that was upside down. I don't know. You can see it in the YouTube video. I posted one. So go watch that, um, of day one and then I'll have day two up next week. But, um, not day two, part two. Um, anyway, so she gave her another object and then Alex naturally flipped that over and got clicked and treated and then she switched those out for a different object and she flipped that over and then she laid out two objects and then got those flipped and then three and worked up progressively until Alex was flipping all three of them over and then she would get clicked after she flipped the third one. Um, so after that little set, um, Mary took away all of all of the objects except one and set it out and Alex flipped it over and then Mary held out her hand and obviously to Alex that said give it to me so she put the like little I think it was a Lego in Mary's hand and then she got clicked and reinforced so that was sort of a like little chain if you will um I know we don't like that word. We like, we prefer loopy training, but it seemed more like a chain to me. <laughs> um, so she had to flip it over and then hand it to Mary. So um, she did that and then she gave her the three back and then um, she put out a slinky and then she, Alex would flip them and then put them in the slinky and then clicked and reinforced and that was it. So that was really insightful, um, you know, because we also had somebody else do it and then we had them write down their thoughts and feelings during um during the exercise and like um at one moment this lady that was doing it she went oh and we all thought that she had just had an epiphany and was like oh I got it but actually she was so confused because she had just like done something that she didn't think was correct and got clicked and so she was like super confused and to me that was just like the biggest um like example of you can so easily misinterpret what you're seeing and you know you never know exactly how your learner is feeling especially with animals because they can't tell you and so we can only do our best to observe them and try and label it correctly but um, really it's up to the learner of what is feels good and what doesn't. And something else that was super interesting is, um, I forget what she had her doing. I think she had her placing an object on top of a cork. And she did that so many times. She did it like 20 repetitions or something like that. And she wrote down that she was frustrated and bored and um, was not understanding why it wasn't like what the purpose was like why isn't this going anywhere and then Mary who was the trainer was like well I saw hesitation and I thought you weren't quite clear on what we were doing so I introduced more repetitions but that was also interesting um because it's I think it's thought-provoking to consider that horses may potentially get bored and I say that carefully but I also know that Zoe is like that if I ask her to do the same thing over and over and over again she'll be like all right 
let's do something new, either by um, expressing that by leaving or starting to get sort of a grumpy facial expression. <laughs> um, so I think that that was really important to consider that once they've got it down, they're like, all right, can we do something else now? This is getting to be juvenile. So the other thing that this little game exercise thing made me consider was that, um, you know, the emotional state has the potential to change because when you first start out with them, it may seem like they're just like, I don't know, I'm unsure, I'm not confident, um, for a human learner, she was embarrassed um, a little bit that she wasn't, like, getting it faster, that she was having to do it over and over again. Um, but, you know, I would be interested to see if she had done a few sessions of learning different things and being asked to do different tasks, if she would get more confident in, um, in both the trainer, um, in that the trainer was going to ask her something that she could solve, and in her own ability to solve the puzzle. Um, you know, and I think that that's also important for horses, too, because, you know, at first you start asking them to do something and they're like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. And then after they catch on to the game, they're so like in it. They're like, this is awesome. Let's keep doing this. Ask me to do something else and I'll solve it. Um, so I think that that's also really important to consider that you need to set up experiments, quote unquote, or training sessions that um, you know that the horse has in repertoire or shape to you know, introduce it to their repertoire so that they can do it. Because if you ask something too hard, then you're potentially taking away some of that confidence and then you have to build that back up. And it's really important that you have a confident learner who wants to participate because if they're not confident that they can solve it, they're probably not going to participate. It's the flow theory. <laughs> um, another psychological thing for you there. Um, anyway, I need to move on to Sunday. That was a really cool, like, metaphorical thing. I don't know if you guys will find that interesting at all, but I did. And um, I thought it was really insightful. Anyway, Sunday. So we started out around the breakfast table and we watched some lectures and uh, PowerPoint presentations, that sort of thing. And then we went down to the barn and um, we had a lesson in rope handling. And um, you guys will really be able to see more of that in part two of my clinic video. Um, which would be up next Monday, um, because it's, it's really hard to explain without a visual, and even with a visual, it's just not the same as feeling it. Like, if somebody had, if I had watched this video, I would have been like, okay, so what's the big deal? But actually feeling it and being led around, again, this all sounds super juvenile, juvenile, but like, it, it really made a difference in, like, how I think about these things. But essentially, um, you know, one of us would hold the halter, um, above the clip. So, um, we weren't hanging on to the lead rope at all, just holding on to the halter. And then we would have, um, we would have our fists clenched really tight and, um, have our eyes closed. And Cindy would slide her hand down the rope and she would say, let me know when you can feel, um, me on the rope at all. And with my fist clenched, like white knuckling it, um, I didn't feel her at all until her hand hit mine. She had slid all the way up the lead rope to my hand. And she went slow, and I didn't feel anything. And then she said, okay, relax your hands and be super, like, like feel like you're holding a baby bird, and let me know when you feel me. And she slid up the lead rope, and she got a foot down it, and I said, now. And I have, like, a whole other eight foot of lead rope. <laughs> and I was like, oh. So the point there is that tension on either either party tension on the horse or tension on the human's part you can't feel the other 
as well. You know, the ho- the horse can't feel the human if they're tense, and the human can't feel the horse if they're tense. Um, I know my pronoun antecedent isn't very clear there, but, um, you know, you're less susceptible to noticing small changes if you're tense. And I thought that that was pretty brilliant. <laughs> and um, so the next thing we did was practice rope handling. And it's really a lot to explain. And um, you're probably better off watching a video or attending a clinic of it. Um, because it's really something that you have to feel and experience for yourself. Um, I have a lot of footage of me doing it with Cindy's Mare Scout and with Zoe. Um, But essentially you have one hand that's your quote-unquote minuet hand that sort of just floats with the horse and, um, you know, moves with them. And the goal is to keep the snap of the lead rope pointing straight down so it's perpendicular to the ground. And um, that just keeps a light, flowy contact. It's it's like you're dancing with them. Um, and then when you want to, say, turn or ask for lateral flexion or um, slow down or walk forward, you slide your hand up the rope. And that slide is intended to let the horse know that I'm about to ask you something. And then if you um, sort of tilt the snap forward so the end of it is pointing towards the horse's mouth um, that indicates to them to move forward if you tilt it up it indicates them to sort of woe up or um, stop and um, if you slide your hand up and tilt the bottom of the snap towards you then the horse can turn towards you and if you tilt it away and float your minuet hand up to their um up to their shoulder, then they will move away or offer you lateral flexion in the horses that are more experienced to this. And um, I thought it was a really cool experience because I've never led a horse that way. And, um, you know, I've slid my hand down it and whatnot accidentally and not done anything intentionally. But um, to be so deliberate and to, you know, slide down the rope to say, hey, horse, something is coming. And I'm not just going to grab the lead rope and turn it or pull it or what have you. And when you're holding the halter in your own hands, when somebody just reaches up and grabs the lead rope, it's, it's kind of surprising. And it's a little bit like, oh, geez. Um, But when they start at the other hand and slide up the lead rope, it's a lot more pleasant. And, um, you know, I, I figure that some horses probably could care less about this and I figure that some horses might really enjoy this and I think Zoe is one of them Um, at least if this is a step towards being as light as possible I think that this is much better than the way that I was rope handling previously because you know I was just grabbing like we're we're on a walk Um, but now it's more deliberate and I'm like hey I'm about to ask you something and she's like oh what are you about to ask me and if I tilt it forward she's like okay let's go and if I tilt it to this or tilt it towards me she's like oh, okay I turn and um you know the second the horse breathes almost the right answer you drop the rope or you let go gently you know um but that that would be the part of negative reinforcement that's involved in this um and they're still clicking and treating and honestly if i'm being a hundred percent um you know clear here i don't really know how much i enjoy using negative reinforcement and you know 
to some extent, I feel like being a positive reinforcement purist is frowned upon. And to some extent, I think mixing is frowned upon. And honestly, I'm just sort of tired of the conflicting opinions. And I'm just sort of going to move to being as light and as clear with my horse as possible. And um, I, I would really like to minimize the amount of negative reinforcement I use. And using this form of negative reinforcement, the um, what Alex calls the Tai Chi rope handling that I've just spent the past like 10 minutes describing, um, is a lot softer and kinder than the way that I was previously um, leading. And I didn't even realize it. And um, it is for sure negative reinforcement when you slide up and you um, tilt the tilt the clasp one way or another, it's a slight pressure. Um, and I mean, there's something to be said about the difference between, you know, my hand on my knee pressure and pushing my finger into my knee pressure. Obviously there's a difference there. Um, the goal is to be non-escalating. So when you do this, you sort of just turn it and leave it. And when the horse like takes a breath or takes a step forward or tenses, or tenses, um, tenses their shoulder muscles or their chest muscles, then you release and then you ask again. And then when they act like they're going to move forward or whichever direction you're asking, then you release. And, um, it's, I think it's polite negative reinforcement if, if there is one. Um, but then we're clicking and treating afterwards. Um, and I, I still don't really know how, how keen I am on that. Um, however, I will say that watching, Zoe's, um, expression and her body for signals of relaxation and how calm she was, if she was stressed or anxious, she seemed very calm to me. Um, obviously people for opinions, horses for answers, I don't know for sure, but she seemed very relaxed to me. And, um, I really preferred that and I had a blast working with her in this way because it was so much more fluid than the way that I've led her in the past. So I don't know. I, I don't know really how I feel about it. And I don't know. And I, I don't also want to be like, you know, I just went to this clinic and now I'm believing everything I hear. And I'm like, yes, this is the only way. Um, but I do know that Alex is a very accomplished and, um, you know, respected trainer in the clicker training community. And I think that she is, that this is what she's found works best for her. And, um, I think that that's absolutely wonderful. And I am all about exploring it. Um, I know you can hear a butt in my voice, but as, <laughs> as, as I start this journey into positive reinforcement, I have become wary of just accepting other ideas and practices into my own, um, because, you know, when I was riding traditionally, I just listened to everybody else and just did whatever the new thing was somebody told me to do, um, you know, be it an Olympic athlete or be it Monty Roberts or someone like that. And I just did it. And I, I'm not like that anymore. I want to research and test and see how I feel about it on my own, how my horses feel about it. Like that's priority numero uno. So, you know, I think that I think that it's a great way to transition from um, the regular way. I don't know how else to describe it, just kind of leading your horse around in general. Um, I think that it definitely is much kinder 
Um, at least the way that I was able to do it with Zoe. I didn't use increasing pressure. I sort of, uh, like I said, I just tilted the clasp and she responded. I didn't have to like pull on her or increase the amount of pressure I was using. Um, I just got to like tilt it and every time she did something correct, I would release and um, then click and treat. And so, I don't know. I, and I don't want to offend here or say I don't want to give off the vibe that Alex is wrong or anything like that um, because I am definitely very new to this. But again, I am wary of just accepting um, what somebody else says is right. Um, so I want to find out for myself and I want to see if I can find something that works even better than that. And that's that's my goal, you know, no better to do better. Um, what's that quote by Maya Angelou? We do the best with what we know, and when we know more, um, we can do better. Uh, something like that. I'm paraphrasing very poorly. She's a poet, and I'm not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, long story short, that was very cool, and I much prefer that to the way that I was leading. I do realize that it is negative reinforcement. I don't think that negative reinforcement is the devil, but I am of the mind that I would like to minimize it at all costs. Um, if I can do it with positive reinforcement and without negative reinforcement, that's what I want to do. So when I find that way, then I will do it that way. But I have not explored enough or asked enough questions in how to do it without negative reinforcement. And, you know, to some extent, I don't know if I need to do it without negative reinforcement. If, um, I don't know, because it still feels like a little bit of coercion to me, but Zoe didn't seem to, like, really hate it. That is very noisy. Shush. I don't know. I'm tangenting. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, so, to stop talking about Zoe, finally, um, Mac, Alex was working with Mac, and he all of a sudden became the child that was no longer calm and was very concerned about where Zoe was and what she was doing, so I, I didn't really get to watch because I was really focused on Zoe, um, and I have yet to thoroughly review the footage, but he was very distracted and sort of all over the place. Um, so we took them back to their stalls and then, um, after we did, um, a few more horses, we went to work with him again and Alex worked with him in the stall on what she calls backing in a square. So, um, the goal is to teach the horse to yield his haunches, um, when backing and, um, also to introduce head lowering. And, um, they did that for a while. And, um, the way that she did head lowering was similar to the Tai Chi rope handling. Um, she would tilt the clasp up and, um, just hold it there. And when he dropped his head, she would release. And I believe that the goal is to, you know, when you're in the saddle, you can't really pull down on their heads. <laughs> um, so when you tilt the rein up that they lower their heads. Um, and I think that there is something to that. However, just for me personally, I don't really know that I would teach it that way. And, um, I'm not saying that there's anything particularly wrong with it. It just, it's not the way that I think that I would like to teach it. I'd prefer to teach it with targeting. And, um, I free shaped it with him and just taught him calm. So when I say calm, he puts his head down and, um, head lowering is a really awesome behavior because, um, if you give it a super high reinforcement rate, 
um, than if you go to perhaps a scary environment and the horse is like, oh, I don't know what to do, and they get their heads a little high and you give them that cue. It's a conditioned emotional reinforcer as well. So when they put their head dis- heads down, they've had such a long history of reinforcers happening that that position is you know, it's also a self-soothing position because horses put their heads down when they're calm, um, you know, when they're not looking on the horizon for predators, um, but also that they've had such a high history of reinforcement that it's it's a good place to be. And they're like, oh, okay, everything is okay. I'm going to get treated for this. This is awesome. So it's a really useful behavior to teach. Um, I prefer doing it without, um, you know, the um, initial uh, tilting of the clasp. Um, I don't know. I just, I think that that is a little more confusing. And I think that other people would argue that free shaping is more confusing. I think it's to each his own. Um, but I think I would prefer to teach it through a cue transfer, um, where I would have the calm cue and then introduce a rain cue or a tactile cue, like scratching his neck or something. I actually did that with, um, uh, my first event horse, <laughs> I accidentally taught him. I don't know how I did it, but when he would put his head down, I would scratch his withers. So over time, scratching his withers became the cue to put his head down. So when I was in dressage tests and we had to do a stretchy free walk or a stretchy trot, I would just reach down and scratch his withers and he'd drop his head. It was kind of awesome. Um, but I would prefer to do something like that rather than have like a sort of a lift up and then they go down into the contact. I don't know. Um, I could be totally wrong, and like I said, to each his own. Um, I feel like I'm treading so lightly here, but I really don't want to give off the opinion or the vibe that I'm like, Alex is wrong, and that was abusive. That's that's not the case at all. I just, I think I would teach it differently, but I don't, I don't know. It's worked for her for like 20 years, so I mean, there must be something to it. Um, I think the other things that we really worked on were, um, you know, just cleaning up some of the treating techniques and how to, um, communicate with your body language, um, more clearly to the horse what you're asking. And, um, then the, one of the most interesting things, um, to me, uh, anyway, was, um, hip targeting. And I don't know why this just like really blew my mind a little bit. Um, but there was a lady there named, um, Karen, and she had the cutest little pony named Puffin, and he, I, I wanted to take him home. He was so cute, but she taught him how to target his hip, and the reason she did this is, you know, you walk him up to a mounting block, and their hip is too far away, so you hold out your hand, and they move their hip over to touch your hand, and then suddenly they're lined up at the mounting block. I mean, there are a thousand ways to teach a horse to stand at a mounting block, and there are a thousand more ways to teach a horse to target your hip, but she explained how she did it by having him move around a cone, so it would be her, then puffin in the middle, and then a cone or a mounting block or something on the outside, um... So Puffin was in between them and she would ask him to move around and she held out her little target. And when he walked around the cone, so he's turning away from her around the cone that's 
inside if this was a circle. I tried to explain this to a friend earlier and it did not make sense at all. So maybe just watch the video, but I'm going to keep doing my best. So she she's turning him away from her and holding out a target near his bum so that when he goes to step around the cone, eventually his hips swing over and bump the target. And then gradually she fades out the turning and she just offers the target or says hip and he moves his hip over and touches it and then gradually she fades out the target holds out her hand and he just targets her hip or targets his hip to her hand um but she said to be warned to put this on stimulus control because the last thing you want is to just be like talking to somebody with your hands and all of a sudden you have a horse butt in your hand <laughs> um so definitely only needs to happen um, if you give them a tap or if you say hip. Um, but, uh, I just thought that that was really cool and, um, you know, just a good way to teach that. Cause I've tried the, just holding it out and waiting for them to shift and I haven't had much success with that. Um, and often with Zoe, since she's so adept at, um, targeting, she'll just back up and then, touch it with her nose. So I'm holding it at her hip and she'll back up the length of her body to touch it with her nose. And I'm like, okay. So I don't know. I thought that that was a creative way to do that. And I think that there are many more ways to do that, but that's just what she had. Um, you know, and then same thing with the standing at a mounting block. You sort of just walk up to it. And when the horse is there, click and reinforce and then make it a really good place for the horse to be and click and treat, click and treat. And I got to watch a lot of riding. Nobody went super fast and it wasn't like this big impressive, oh, we're doing a jumping course. So whatever. Um, but it was really cool to see, um, positive reinforcement done from the saddle. Most of it was done at a walk. There were some trots, um, the puff and pony focused mostly on lateral work and things of that nature. So, um, you know, it was, it was just really cool. Then, um, then on Monday morning, um, we got up and, um, my boss, Miss Sunny had to get to get home because she had to take her kid to school on Tuesday morning. Um, so we sort of did our session and got out of there, but, um, I worked with Zoe some more on rope handling and refining it. And Alex worked, uh, with Mac more on the head lowering. And, um, that was pretty much our whole clinic. And I think I, touched on my notes as I went along through this. Um, I also ordered some of the DVDs regarding, like, I think it's called Capture the Saddle, Helen House Horse, and, um, oh, what's the other one? Um, Riding on a Triangle. I'm not sure what that one is, but I know the other two are about mounting block and how to do the single rein riding, which, um, I don't know a whole lot about, so I'm not really going to try and explain it. <laughs> um, but essentially it's sort of just riding with one hand and then sliding your hand down the rope and, or rein and, um, you know, cueing that way for turning. And it, it's very similar to the Tai Chi rope handling. So I find that that will transfer really well to under saddle. And so I'm going to give that a go and test that out a little bit, test drive it, see what I think. Um, yeah, I, I really think that that is all I got for you guys. Um, the clinic was really, really cool. I think I learned a lot of really valuable information. I got to meet a lot of really cool people and, um, yeah, I think that that it was, it was a really awesome clinic and, um, 
Yeah, I don't really know what else to say. I feel like I'm ending on kind of a weird note here, but I've been talking for 43 minutes, so I'm probably going to try and wrap it up. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. If you are interested in attending one of Alex's clinics, I think she's got that up all over her website at the Clicker Center. Um, yeah, or you can message me about it and, um, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Um, but I think that that is about all. Be sure that you check out those videos on my YouTube channel. It'll just be under Alexander Curling Clinic Part 1, and hopefully there will only be Part 2. I'm hoping I can condense it, but if not, then there will also be a Part 3. Um, but yeah, be sure to check those out, um, so that you have a visual aid to what I'm talking about here. And, uh, if you came from the videos, hopefully you have a clearer understanding of what we were trying to accomplish. They sort of go together. Um, so yeah, make sure that you guys, um, leave a positive review for this podcast for me. It really helps, um, me in the algorithm and, um, I love to see that you guys, I actually read through the ratings and comments, uh, on the podcast the other day and it just made my heart so happy. You guys are so, I'm, I, ugh, I don't even know what to say. I'm so happy that you guys are enjoying the podcast so much and I'm so happy that I did this. Um, so yeah, make sure that you leave a positive comment and review. It'll make my day and it will help boost our ratings and algorithm and hopefully more people will listen. Um, and yeah, if you want to check me out on other social media platforms, you can look me up at Jet Equithery. That's J-E-T-E-Q-U-I-T-H-E-O-R-Y. Um, I also have a website, jetequithery.com. So you can find me there or on Instagram or on Facebook or on YouTube and all of the wonderful things. But I am about burnt out of energy. So <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. I hope that you have a wonderful evening and that you enjoyed. Um, also, if you had a wonderful day, I don't know what time it is where you are. It is very evening for me right now. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and I will catch you guys next Tuesday.